Welcome to the Mini Culture Podcast Season 5 from KFAI Community Radio in Minneapolis. This season, take your meat out onto the street, let's go. Stories of noble striving, boisterous community, and gritty intrigue. Glass breaking and screams and sirens. All rooted in Minnesota history. Actually, like a chamber pot. All supported by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the Hennepin History Museum. I'm Ahanti Young. Growing up, I was a latchkey kid, so my babysitters were Popeye, Bugs Bunny, and Deputy Dog. That feels good. I don't know nothing about Deputy Dog. That's an old one. The storytelling, the laughter, the violence, it kept me coming back. I wasn't so much into comic books. Uh, I wanted to spend my money on G.I. Joes and drumsticks, but uh, cartoons were free. And it was those cartoons that fostered my artistic career as an actor. When Dave Mers was a kid, he was into cartoons and comics. His parents bought him a subscription to Donald Duck Comics. Years later, he learned those same comics had been created by men who lived and worked in the same Twin Cities he called home. In this episode of the Mini Culture Podcast, the story of how a comics fan became the historian of Minnesota cartooning. Here's Britt Ahmed with The Toonsmith. Dave Murs, Minnesota's cartoon historian. Dave Murs spent his life with his nose in the funny pages, flipping through comics, a shake rippling through his body as he clutched his gut, letting out a huge laugh in the joy of it all. The joy of loving something so much and really getting it. He could never get enough of comic strips, comic books, cartoons, animated films, whatever form they came in. He loved them. This is the point where I tell you Dave dedicated his life to comic books and cartoons. I'm pretty sure no one else could rattle off every cartoonist or animator of note who ever set foot in Minnesota. These men, and most of them were men, only became someone after they left Minnesota. In Minneapolis, Kurt Swan schlepped freight in a Sears Roebuck warehouse. But in New York, he drew the most popular superhero in the world, Superman and his comics were read by millions every month. When he was five, Ward Kimball zipped around the Twin Cities on the streetcar with his grandma. Twenty years later, his boss, Walt Disney, was developing a new film, Pinocchio, at a studio in Burbank, California. He tapped Kimball to design what would become one of the most recognizable characters in the Disney canon, Jiminy Cricket. And then there was Charles Schultz, born in Minneapolis, raised in St. Paul, Sparky as he was known, kicked around his dad's barbershop with half a haircut, waiting until Pops finished with the customer and could get to his other side. Schultz developed his comic strip in Minnesota, but once Peanuts took off, he did too. When biographers write about these cartoonists, they tend to gloss over the Minnesota period, then it's off to the more important stuff. Hold on a minute, let's, let's back up here. That was Dave's attitude. Minnesota wasn't the flyover territory of these cartoonists' lives. It had an impact. And beginning in the 1970s, Dave began to track down that story. And while he was becoming the historian of Minnesota cartooning, he also managed with his gang of like-minded friends to somehow create the foundations 
of Minnesota's comics fan community. I grew up here in Minneapolis over in the St. Anthony neighborhood on the river in Minneapolis. My uh, father was a uh, police officer and a TV repairman and my uh, mother a homemaker. David Richard Murs was born February 1951 when you could still, like Ward Kimball and his grandmother, hop a ride on the Twin City streetcar. The lines would soon be torn up. Nearby in that very same month, Charles Schultz had already found a substitute for the streetcar, favoring the convenience and flair of an automobile, paid for with the sale of a handful of comics panels to the Saturday Evening Post, and the reason for the swagger in his step, his newly syndicated comic strip, Peanuts. The 29-year-old tooled around Minneapolis, saying his goodbyes to his pals at the Correspondence Art School, where he worked, and fussing over last-minute details for his April wedding. Schultz and his bride-to-be were taking the big 90 bucks he made off peanuts each month and moving to Colorado Springs, where he could devote himself completely to his art for the first time in his life. That was the plan, anyway. Schultz and Murs, two lives with nothing in common except a city, but soon they would share something else. Comics. When I was three years old, my parents got me a subscription to Walt Disney's Comics and Story for a dollar. It turned out people upstairs of our house read Superman and Mad Magazine, and so I was able to trade my comics, two issues of my Donald Duck comics for one issue of Superman, and three Donald Duck comic books for one Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, the American humor magazine founded in 1952, known for its loopy satire and roster of talented artists, among them a tortured genius from Monaga, Minnesota. What about Wally Wood? Van Gogh, okay. <laughs> yeah, his father was a lumberjack, but his mother was a school teacher, okay? And there was this huge war that went on because he was a really short little guy. His father kept telling him he was, he was worthless and half a man. He would take this poor kid, he would take him to the lumberjack camps and make him work with the lumberjacks. And he'd rather draw. In fact, his, his, what his mother would do, and his father hated him for doing it. In fact, they ended up getting divorced over, over a lot of things. Well, she would actually even take Wood's drawings and, and saddle stitch him with her sewing machine. Mothers of River City, heed that warning before it's too late. Watch for the telltale signs of corruption. The minute your son leaves the house, does he rebuckle his knickerbockers below the knee? Is he starting to memorize jokes from Captain Billy's whiz bag? At what point did you get curious about local cartoonists? When I started finding out that all the comics, all those Donald Duck comic books I love so much, were written by not just one person, but about nine people from the Twin Cities. The Carp brothers, Lynn, Hubert, Robert Carp, Don Bordier, Don Christensen, and of course, Carl Barks. Dave didn't find this out until many years later, but the combination of his love for those childhood comics and the revelation that the artist who'd created them had lived and worked in places he could get to, on his bike, no less, 
ignited a curiosity that never dimmed. This was how a cartooning fan became a cartooning historian. Carl Barks was drifting, moving town to town, looking for work and taking whatever was at hand until he could make a living at his art. In the early 1920s, he found some success selling drawings to a racy men's humor magazine, the Calgary Eye Opener. The editor was impressed enough to offer the cartoonist a steady at their headquarters in Minneapolis. Minneapolis wasn't a stranger to racy men's humor magazines. Just after World War I, Wilford Captain Billy Fawcett had set up shop in nearby Robbinsdale, publishing his own monthly, Captain Billy's Whizbang, with saucy stories and naughty cartoons. The Calgary Eye Opener was the Whizbang's competition, so the Fawcett family bought it up and moved it to Minneapolis, where in the office, Barks kept his head down as chaos swirled around him. Carl Barks ended up becoming the editor because everybody else was a drunk. He was the only one that wasn't a drunk. In 1935, Barks learned Disney was hiring animators. He submitted his portfolio, got the okay, and waved the Twin Cities a fond farewell. Barks eventually transitioned from working on Donald Duck cartoons to working on Donald Duck comic books, where in 1947, he introduced a new member of the Duck family, Scrooge McDuck. Captain Billy's Fawcett Publications also relocated to New York, taking with it a 25-year-old illustrator from Zambroda, Minnesota. Faster than a speeding bullet. You're listening to KFAI's Mini Culture. We'll be back with more in a moment. Support for the Miniculture Podcast on KFAI comes from Hennepin History Museum, where you can learn about your community through the stories of people, places, and things from our past. Located in Minneapolis, Hennepin History Museum serves as a bridge from our complex past to our unknown future by bringing the diverse histories of our region to life. The museum helps our community understand the world through exhibits, collections, public programs, a magazine, and a research library. Learn more about member-supported Hennepin History Museum at hennepinhistory.org. This is the Miniculture Podcast on KFAI. I'm Ahanti Young. Up next, Dave will take us back to the 1930s and the rivalry between the Man of Steel and the upstart superhero conjured by a preacher's son from Minnesota. Back to Brit Amit with the Toonsmith, Dave Murs, Minnesota's cartooning historian. One of the cartoonists Dave Murs would research and eventually meet years later started out life as a preacher's son in Zambroda, Minnesota. Cece Beck was providing drawings for Fawcett Publications' expanding line of magazines when an alien sent to Earth from a dying planet single-handedly rescued the New York publishing industry hit hard by the Great Depression. Action Comics No. 1, published June 1938 by National Comics, later DC Comics, it featured the debut of the superhero comic, with Superman, son of Krypton, 
rescuing Lois Lane from a gangster, maddened to violence at being jilted by the girl reporter. With economic uncertainty still dogging the American household, Superman offered a symbol of hope. Fawcett Publications was nothing if not wily. A little over a year after Superman's debut, Fawcett launched its first line of comic books with its own superhero, Captain Marvel. C.C. Beck illustrated the storylines written by Bill Parker and the Fawcett editors. But as Captain Marvel took on new powers, he started to feel uncomfortably similar to the Man of Steel. C.C. Beck thought so, and so did Superman's publishers, which earned Fawcett a lawsuit. But that was in the future. Meanwhile, back in the late 1930s, another Minnesotan got his start with Captain Marvel's rival. And Wayne Boring grew up in the South Dakota border, and his father was the uh, postmaster down there, okay? He went to the art school, the big art school in Minneapolis. He's this 18-year-old kid that graduated from high school. He's living in the big city. He falls in love with the dancing girls at the Orpheum Theater, and he ends up flunking out of MCAT because he's spending all his time at the Orpheum. The postmaster's son bought a ticket and made his way to Cleveland, where he fell in with two young men who were plotting to get a syndicated comic strip. Those young men were writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster. They didn't get a strip, but they did get their creation, Superman, into action comics. Once Superman took off, Siegel and Schuster revisited the idea of a comic strip. With a daily strip on top of the comic books, Schuster couldn't keep up with the drawing, so the duo hired a handful of artists to ghost for him, and one of them was Boring. Boring would become one of the main Superman artists, until, that is, his style started to feel old and out of fashion. In 1967, DC Comics showed him the door. The artist who took over for Boring on Superman was Kurt Swan, 15 years younger and also from Minnesota. Wally Wood, the Van Gogh of comics, whose art for Mad Magazine had thrilled a young Dave Murs, fought a double battle against his crippled health and a business that was overflowing with talented artists who were always younger, faster, and most important of all, new. In 1981, Wood would take his life. You know, these poor guys there, success sabotaged who they were. Wayne Bourne ended up working as a bank guard down in Florida. That's how he ended his career. I must have left it at the library. Library! My beautiful blanket! Charlie Brown, I ought to kick you! Yet even as the Golden and Silver Age cartoonists and animators were fading into obscurity, there were people like Dave Murs dropping them a line in the mail, getting their number from a friend of a friend and calling them up and saying, I can't tell you how much your art meant to me. Dave could do one better for these artists. He and his friends had organized the first Minnesota comic book convention in 1973. Out of their own enthusiasm for the art form, they and others like them around the country were establishing an organized fan culture that wanted to meet their idols. C.C. Beck and Kurt Swan both made a return journey to their home state as guests of the Minnesota Comic Book Convention. Then it was Charles Schultz's turn. Schultz's departure to Colorado Springs in 1951 had been short-lived. Within a year, he and his bride were back in Minneapolis, but they left for good in 1958 when Peanuts was really taking off and California's temperate weather offered the temptation to a sporty Charles Schultz 
of year-round golf. In 1995, for Peanut's 45th anniversary, Dave and a local cartoonist organized a luncheon for Schultz at O'Gara's restaurant in St. Paul on the same block where a youthful Schultz had kicked around with half a haircut in his dad's first-floor barbershop. When a biographer traveled to Minneapolis to research the first major biography of Charles Schultz, Dave took the biographer to the last vestige of the Twin Cities streetcar that had, once upon a time, shuttled Schultz to work at the Correspondence Art School, where he shared his big-headed kid drawings with fellow instructors Linus Maurer and Charlie Brown. It doesn't take much to figure out where Schultz got the inspiration for some of his Peanuts characters. But Minnesota had an influence on so many artists. See, what, what, what happens here is that people come here and become transformed, okay? Carl Barks came here as a um, part-time contributor, you know, cartoonist, the Calgary Eye Opener, and a chicken farmer. He comes here, he works here, you know, and he transforms himself into a professional cartoonist and then is able to go on and, and move on, you know, to professionalism. Dave Murs, the man who first saw the value of documenting Minnesota cartooning history, died December 20th, 2020, in the same Minneapolis where he was born and where he first traded two Donald Duck comics for one Superman and three Donald Ducks for one mad magazine. This is Brit Amit for KFAI. Eight steps in and sees you through. The Larry Cross clan was even organized in Metropolis, Mr. Kent. Neither did I, Jim. It's the great pumpkin. He's right the That was Britt Amit with the Toonsmith, Dave Mers, Minnesota's cartooning historian. Thanks, Dave, for all the stories. Support for the Mini Culture Podcast comes from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Support also comes from the Hennepin History Museum. Some of our music comes from the Blue Dot Sessions on the Free Music Archive. Find more art history, and culture stories from across Minnesota on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash miniculture. The Miniculture Podcast on KFAI is edited by Melissa Olson and Ryan Dawes. Until next time, I'm Ahanti Young. Peace. Peace.